We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Please join me in taking your Bibles and turning to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're in verses 17 through 24 together as we continue our journey together through this incredible series, Humble Heroism, The Life of Elijah. And we are continuing that journey. We began last week and we continue this week. But as we continue together today, we need to ask ourselves the question. We said it as an imperative just a moment ago in the song, but I want to phrase it as an interrogative now. The song exclaimed, I believe God. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe God? Do you believe God when it is hard to believe God? Do you believe God when sometimes situations and circumstances tempt you not to? Do you believe God when there are doubters in your life? Do you believe God when it seems like everything is full of hate? Do you believe God, not just when it's easy, but when it's difficult? Do you believe God? Do we believe that his word is true? This morning, you're going to be asked, you're going to be dared to believe what seems to be an impossible story, a story that is audacious. And it's one that we have to ask, do we really believe God? But before we even get into the story, it's hard sometimes as I look out at you because I already know the answer personally in many of your lives. But I don't know everyone in here's story So I'm just going to ask the question anyway. Have any of you in here ever been faced with an impossible situation? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you didn't know where to turn? You didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. You didn't know how you got yourself into this and you sure didn't know how you were going to get yourself out. Have you ever been in a place where you didn't see it coming? Have you ever been in a place where you thought it wasn't right? Have you ever been in a place where you believed it wasn't fair? Have you ever been in a place where you wondered, how could God be in this? Have you ever been in a place where you have wondered, what is God going to do now that I am in it? Have you ever been in an impossible situation? This series focuses on a man who is in impossible situation after impossible situation. We learned last week about this man named Elijah, whose name literally means my God is Yahweh. And we learned about who he is and we learned about the things that he had done and the places that he had gone. And we learned, first of all, that he was called out from Tishbe, that he makes his entrance in front of Ahab and he declares before Ahab that there's not going to be any rain until he declares so. But immediately after that, we learn that he goes on the run. Do you remember that? And he finds himself at the brook at Kareth, and he's fed by the ravens, and he drinks from the brook, but the brook runs dry. And so it is from there he's forced to go to Zarephath, and he's told he's going to meet a widow there, and that this widow is going to care for him. 
But when he meets the widow, he finds out that she's starving to death. But the Lord supplies because he supplies through flour and oil that will never run dry. And so Elijah is biding his time at Zarephath, waiting on the day when God would say, now is the time to go to Ahab. You've been in hiding, but now go show yourself. And he's waiting on that moment, but he doesn't know how long that's going to be. So as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months, Elijah is waiting and waiting and waiting. And as he is waiting, we find out that one of the most tragic things that anyone could ever have happened to them happens to this poor widow as if she had not experienced enough already. And we see the God of the impossible rise up and do what only he can do. If you believe God, would you stand with me this morning? 1 Kings 17, I begin in verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched out himself on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, And he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Lord, may we believe you. May we believe that nothing, may we believe that nothing is impossible with you, even resurrection from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? I want to show a great deal of sensitivity as we begin this passage this morning because there are people listening who have gone through tragedies that are unimaginable. Many of you in here have faced hardship and difficulty and pain and sickness, tragedy that is untold. In fact, in a room this size, especially those that are listening this morning, if we were all to tell our stories of hurt and pain, they would pile up over and over and over again. But I have to say, and thank God, oh, thank my God, I have never experienced this. But if I was asked what would be the most painful thing that anyone could possibly endure, it has to be the losing of a child. It would have to be that loss of life and hope and everything that went along with it. It's outside the natural order of things. It's not the way things are supposed to go. And so we open up this story, and it seems like a story that that just changed course dramatically. And it's a lot like our lives sometimes. Things are rocking along, aren't they? 
Things are going great. Things are going well. We're every day. We seem to be enjoying it. We're going to events. We're enjoying family functions. We're going to church. We're going to school. We're going to work. We're doing our thing. We're enjoying ourselves. Things are rocking along. And then how many of you can say that at some point in your life you could say this phrase? Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything changed. Have any of you ever had that everything changed moment in your life where it all changed? Well, I pick up my Bible and I read this story, and the story, even though I don't know them personally, there's something that if you really get in the depths of this story, it's a story that can be irritating. It's a story that can make you angry. And it brings us to some points that I think that we need to talk about. How do we handle our worst days? How do we handle our worst days? There's a lot of talk about how to live your best life, but I'm telling you that if you live life, there are going to be some dark hours. There are going to be some difficult moments. There's going to be pain and there's going to be heartache. So I'm here this morning for us to talk about reality, about what do you do on your worst day? What do you do on your worst day? First of all, on our worst day, you remember, he is the God of the impossible. On our worst day, he is the God of the impossible. As I look down at verse 17, and it says that this son became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. He died. The boy died. And in her grief, we find that this poor widow responds, and I don't blame her. I want you to know something, that when people are hurting Part of the compassion we've got to show to people is that sometimes they say hurtful things. Sometimes in their pain, they lash out. I've seen that as a pastor. I've seen that in family lives. And sometimes we need to back up enough to go, you know what? Sometimes when I'm in my deepest grief, I may say things that I don't mean. It doesn't mean that I'm not responsible for that. It just means that in this moment, I think you need to cut the lady a little slack. I know that sometimes in my greatest times of hurt that I'm very thankful that some things I said some people didn't hold against me because they knew I was in pain and they knew I was hurting. And this lady lashes out, but then I thought about her life and I can't help but think that in this moment she probably thought that this boy was certainly going to be okay. She likely thought that the miracle of the flour and the oil, along with Elijah's presence, was a guarantee that her son's life was going to be preserved. It, the reason Elijah was there and the reason the flour and the oil kept showing up was to preserve their life. If anyone thought that they were probably going to be fine, I've got a prophet of God that's living in my house. I've got flour and oil that's coming every day. We're going to make it through the drought. We're going to make it through the famine. And then one day she wakes up and her son's sick. Oh, he's going to get better, but he doesn't get better. He gets worse. In fact, he gets worse to the point that he dies. And it's a reminder. And I want you to hear me and hear me well. That families of God and people of God, Christian people suffer and they have pain and they have difficulty. And in the midst of this, you find yourself wondering this three-letter question. Why why, why? Why would God send Elijah? 
Why would he supply flour and oil? Why did this widow? And then in the midst of it, why would he allow this boy to die? When that type of pain comes into your life, you can get disillusioned. You can get disappointed. You can get angry. You get bitter. This happens with tremendous tragedy, but it happens with everyday things as well. People and jobs and relationships and churches. And in the midst of this, it is very easy to forget all that God has done when we're experiencing the unknown, when we experience tragedy, when we experience tra- pain. And she wonders out loud a question that I think all of us have wondered at our core. She says, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin, of my sin and kill my son? What is she saying? She's saying, Elijah, you've come here. And I feel like I've been set up. I was supposed to trust your God because your God's the one that provided for me. And I trusted you in that. And now you've come here and I have believed that. And now I look up and my kid is dead. And now that my kid is dead, I'm just wondering, was this whole thing a setup? Is that what this was? You show up at my house and you do these miracles and now my son's dead? Was this a setup? Maybe it was that you came because you wanted to kind of make sure that I understood just how bad my sin really was and that God was going to punish me. And if God was going to punish us for something, I can't imagine a more dreadful punishment than to take the thing that mattered to more than anything in the entire world. She accused Elijah of killing her son. And what happens next, and I hope this will help you maybe in your response to people, because I've been so convicted about the way Elijah handled this situation. On our worst day, he is God of the impossible. But number two, on our worst day, we may not receive the answers we seek. On our worst day, we may not receive the answers we seek. How many of you are defensive people? Probably all of you to some point. We argue our point. We don't like being accused of things, especially falsely accused of things. Sometimes we immediately say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. So I'm trying to think in this moment how Elijah must have felt because let's put ourselves in the situation. He's lived with this family now for months. It's not that he's separated from the situation. I have to believe that Elijah probably had grown to care for this young man a lot too. I don't know how you live in the house with him in the midst of a famine and watch God do a miracle every day and not get close. So I don't know how I would have responded, but I, I kind of do. Because in the flesh, sometimes I think my response would have been something like, you don't think I loved him too? You think I did this? Who do you think you are? Every day I've been here, and because I've been here, the Lord's provided flour and oil. How dare you accuse me? How dare you front on my God? How dare you? Or maybe it is that some of you would have been tempted to give some theological lecture. I see this all the time. Well, let me explain to you why things like this happen. Those are the people you want to hit in the mouth at funerals. 
You know, the, you know the type of person I'm talking about. I think the King James Version of the Bible has a great way of saying this. Sometimes you need to shutteth up. <laughs> and not speak of things which you do not know. All right? Watch what Elijah does. I like this, verse 19. He just says, give me your son. Give me your son. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend what God has done. He doesn't try to give an answer. He doesn't explain. He doesn't argue. He doesn't lose control. He's gentle. Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I've read over this passage and over this passage, and I keep asking myself the question, Larry, how would you have responded here? Now, Elijah completely understood that God gives and God takes away. Job 121, Elijah knew that. He's seen it. But he didn't jump in there in reminder of that. He didn't take that moment to say, let me explain to you that God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. And because he can do whatever he wants, your son's life is more God's than it is yours. So you need to show more faith and dry up your tears and believe in the sovereignty of God. And instead of crying, just thank God for the amount of time that you did have him. I've heard people offer those kind of explanations to hurting people. And I believe that they are absolutely a cancer to the soul pastorally, ministerially, empathetically, mercifully, you need to know when to speak and when to keep your mouth shut. And many people have difficulty ministering to people. And I hear this all the time because they say, well, I, I just don't, I don't know what to say. Let me help you, please. Because I've had to learn this the hard way, especially when I was young in ministry. Because I thought because I was the pastor, I had to have an answer for everybody. That, that people were coming to me and telling me their problems because they wanted me to somehow tell them the reason why or, or give them some philosophical viewpoint or give them some peg that they could hang on. And I have learned that you do not have to know what to say because let me ask you a question. If you were in the situation of this widow, is there anything anybody could say that would make it okay? No, your, child's, your child just died. So you don't have to administer to people to know exactly what to say to them. You just have to have your presence there with them and love them. How many of you know that sometimes in your worst day you were thankful for people, not because they preached a sermon to you, but because they put their arm around you? Because they loved you and they said, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm with you. And if you need me, I'm here. And they didn't give you a book on grief. And they didn't give you a book on how to avoid tragedy. And they didn't tell you why this happened. And you know one of the reasons that I'm so proud, if I can say it this way, I'm so proud of Elijah in this situation, is that he didn't give answers that he didn't know. And we are nowhere told that Elijah was told why this young man died. In fact, read the rest of the story. You're not going to find the answer. We aren't told why. Now, you may think that through reading this that, oh, well, I think I can figure out why. And maybe you do have some ideas on that. I have some ideas. But the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us why. And Elijah does not tell her reasons that the Lord hasn't told him. He simply understands that sometimes we are not going to receive the answers that we seek. And he did exactly 
what God had told him to do. And maybe as he's carrying this boy to his room, I don't know what Elijah thought. I'm, I'm not, I don't pretend to. But I have to wonder that as he carried this dead, lifeless boy to his room, that maybe Elijah had his own questions. And sometimes it's difficult to minister to people when you've got your own stuff going on, isn't it? And I think we do so much better in ministry. This has been so important for me. And this isn't just about people who are on staff as ministers. I'm talking about in the way that we treat people. If we don't expect ourselves to have everything figured out, that it's okay to not to be okay, that it's okay to be messed up sometimes, that it's okay to have questions, that it's okay to have doubts, that it's okay to have fears. And we minister that way because when we're vulnerable, we allow people to be able to see, you know what, it's okay. Even if I don't know and I don't have it figured out, it's okay. He's still God of the impossible. Even when I don't receive the answers that I seek, even on my worst day, and even though Elijah probably has his own questions, they don't get a lot, they don't get answered for him either. Friends, this side of heaven, we're not going to get the answers to most of the big questions of our life. So what do we do? What do we do when the situation is impossible? What do we do when we don't have the answers that we seek? Number three, on our worst day, on our worst day, prayer really is our best option. Watch what Elijah does. Give me your son. Verse 19. He took him in his arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Notice that's a question. Elijah doesn't know. Lord, have you done this? I don't understand. He's placing before the Lord, not his demands first, but what he doesn't understand. Sometimes, friends, it is okay to pray to the Lord. In fact, all of the time, you bring your doubts and fears and wonders to the Lord, bring it before him. And then and only then he, does he stretch himself out on the boy three times and cries to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him now. Let me tell you what I don't know about this passage before I tell you what I do know. I have no idea why he laid himself on top of the corpse. Different There's a hundred different reasons given for that, but definitively, I don't know. I really, I don't know. Why he did it three times, I don't know. That's just what the Bible said he did. Sometimes the Bible, and this is a, a key to, to biblical hermeneutics, sometimes the Bible is descriptive and sometimes the Bible is prescriptive. Sometimes it describes what happened. It's not telling us that that is what to do. It's just telling us that that is what he did. Now, what's fascinating about that, though, is that three different times he lays himself on this body. Just by touching the body, Elijah has made himself ceremonially unclean. You weren't to touch a dead body. But we are far past ceremony at this point. Some of you have been to a place in your life where you were far past ceremony. You were far past anything else because the hurt and the pain was so real. When Elijah lays this young man down and he lays on top of him and he begins to pray for this young man face to face, arm to arm, three different times. 
All I can tell you about the three times is that Jesus told us in Luke 18.1 that we are to pray and be persistent and never to give up in prayer. So he prayed and maybe he prayed and looked down and he said, well, you didn't answer at that time. So he laid back down again. He said, so I'm going to pray again. And maybe he got back up and said, he's still not breathing. So he got down and he prayed a third time. Some of you have given up on prayer on some things and you need to get back down on your knees because he didn't answer it the first time does not mean that it won't be answered again. Persistence in prayer is key. And Elijah lays down three different times and he prays. And then it hit me. Come in and listen to this because this is huge. The question, watch this. The question never got answered. What question am I talking about? The why question. Never got answered. But the prayer did. So I wonder sometimes, would you rather have your questions answered or your prayers answered? Would you rather have your questions answered or your prayers answered? And we see that the prayer is answered in an amazing way. God is with Elijah. He is with us in every situation. He's using every situation to teach us and to mature us. And it's only God that can meet this deepest need. Now, let me tell you what I found even more fascinating about this prayer. To this point in Scripture, no one has risen from the dead. It wasn't like Elijah had a template to go, oh yeah, I remember this other time when somebody rose from the dead. I'll pray for that. Not once in Scripture up to this point had anyone ever risen from the dead. This is the first recorded time when somebody rose from the dead. And yet he dared to pray this prayer and he dared to go before the Lord and then he takes the young man and he presents him to his mother. Again, I couldn't help but wonder, Lord, if you'd have let me be in on this miracle. This probably is a condition of my heart as excited as I would have been to see this young man alive. And I'm sure as he started taking breaths, grabbed him up and hugged him and probably grabbed his face like so many of y'all were. And, and even, even though I hoped for the miracle or maybe even expected the miracle, I don't know that I fully would have believed it even at, at first. And then walked him in there to his mother. And the easy thing for, for Elijah to done is to say, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Didn't you know that he provided oil and that he provided flour and every day he's taking care of you? Didn't you know that the Lord could raise him from the dead? That would seem like something that maybe would have been something Elijah could have done. But just like when she came to him upset, Elijah said nothing. All we see that Elijah did was hand him back her son. What else was there to do in this? And that's when I want more details. Do you ever want more details from the Bible? I want more details because we just kind of move on. And I want to know what that moment was like. And this was emotional because sometimes I let myself and my personality and my own heart get too involved in biblical text. And so this week, this week I just allowed myself to try to imagine what it would have been like if one of my children would have died. And then they walked around the corner. 
And for this widow, what she sees when she sees her living, breathing son, watch what she says. Verse 24. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. On our worst day, number four, on our worst day, we are a witness to others of God's presence in our lives. On our worst day, we are a witness to others about God's presence in our lives. She looks at her son. She looks at Elijah. She says, there's a man of God. I know that everything that you say is the truth because she's not seeing Elijah anymore. She's seeing God. One of the things I pray when I bow my head before I, I preach is God, help them to see you and not see me. Help me to get out of the way. Sometimes that's the way I phrase it. Lord, help me to get out of the way. And what takes place here is that she is now seeing God through Elijah. And I debated this because I actually had it in my notes and backspaced and scratched out. Because I wanted to name some people specifically, but I'm, I don't know that I could get through this specifically, so I I'm not using any proper names this morning. But suffice this to say, one of the greatest blessings in my life has been to witness Jesus in some of you on some of your worst days and moments. I have seen God work in your lives in times that I thought, oh Lord, I'm supposed to be the one ministering to them, but look how it is that they are facing what they are facing. Look what just happened in their life. And they're testifying to the hope of God. And they're relying on the hope of God. And they're relying on the people of God. And they're believing the gospel of God. And they're praising you in the midst of the storm. And they're in love with you. And I've got to tell you, one of the reasons that I believe in my life that I love God the way I love God is because he's put people in my life as an example to show me how to love God when it wasn't easy to love God. You're a witness to people on your worst day and people are watching and I've seen some of you rise up out of the ashes and God's been your God in the midst of dark moments, in the midst of terror, in the midst of horror, in the midst of loss, in the midst of diagnoses, in the midst of death, in the midst of grief, in the midst of pain, in the midst of adultery, in the midst of financial problems, in the midst of all of that and I've watched you and I've said there's no doubt that Jesus is in the lives of those people because nobody but nobody could do what's been done in their lives without Jesus. And how so many of you have given testimony to the fact that you're so thankful that you don't have to do it without him. Oh, tragedy is real. Bad days are coming. So then I couldn't help but ask the question, Larry, do we, should we be praying for people to rise from the dead? Well, let me say this. I think we need to be praying more impossible prayers than what we're praying because your God is bigger. But that doesn't mean that God chooses in our age or in our day to raise the dead in the way that this story describes. 
But then I couldn't help but read through Scripture. And I found some other stories about people being raised from the dead. Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. Luke chapter 7, raises the son of the widow at Nain. John chapter 11, one of the most powerful. He raises his own best friend, Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And I said, maybe selfishly, oh God, oh God, how great it would be one day if we prayed and somebody got up out of a casket. And then the Lord, in the midst of thinking through that, showed me something that scripturally, we have the greater privilege, we have a greater privilege than even Elijah had. Because what Elijah would not yet know was that God Himself had His power over the grave, but that He would even have power over His own grave. The widow thought of her son's death as the penalty for her son's sin. But only God could give a son that could pay the price for our sin. And when we look to the story of the gospel, what we find is something even more incredible than the raising of the son of the widow at Zarephath because we find the story of the raising of the very son of God. And why is that important? Because listen to me, please, if you've, if some of you may be tired, you had a long weekend, just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes. Here's why it's so important. When you bowed your head at some point in your life, if you've ever done this, and admitted before the Lord that you were fallen, that you were a sinner, that you were depraved, that in your sin-sick condition, that you can't save yourself, and you came before Him and you said, I'm destined for the grave and I'm destined for hell. So God, I'm coming before you. I'm going to pray a prayer. We sang it this morning. I need to be washed in the blood, the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. And Jesus looked down at your helpless estate and He said, there is that sin-filled, hell-bound creature. And He lifted your life up out of the quick and the mire and He set your feet on a rock and He forgave, forgave your sins, and all of a sudden you could say, I am spotless, I am white as snow, my sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. He forgave you and redeemed you and rescued you and justified you, and in all of those moments, you were rescued from the dead. You were risen just like Christ rose from the dead. You aren't just waiting to die to be resurrected. You've already been resurrected. You've been resurrected from your sin. You are risen with Christ because the old is gone and the new is come when we baptize. Buried with Christ in baptism. Dead to my sins. Dead to my transgression. Dead to my guilt. Dead 
dead to my old ways, raised to walk in the newness of life. Friends, we celebrate a miracle every Sunday because it is the day of the resurrection. It is the day of Jesus' resurrection. And if all of you here know Christ, you truly know him. You are in Christ. You've been born again. You are repentant. You've been washed in the blood. You've come to Jesus then you know today that the greatest miracle that's ever happened happened to you because Jesus took your lifeless, sin-filled body and he placed a brand new heart and a brand new spirit in it so that one day you say, what about this physical resurrection? I'm not going to offer you any guarantees that you're going to come flying up out of a coffin at your funeral, but I will make you a guarantee that one day you're going to come flying up out of the grave. That's my God. That's my God. Shame on us when we don't believe in a God of the impossible. Shame on us. So friends, I would ask you today, if you don't know him, you say, what can God do for me? He can do the impossible. He can rescue you. He can save you. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm telling you, I agree with the choir and what they sang this morning. I believe God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He was crucified on Calvary's cross. I believe that He was placed in a borrowed tomb. And I believe that three days later, He defeated sin and death. I believe that that same God who defeated sin and death can rescue and save me and forgive me. And I believe the Bible and I believe God that He can save you too. Would you repent? and give your life to Christ. Stand with me. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.